Join Global Genes and the Orphan Disease Center at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine for the annual Rare Drug Development Symposium, June 6th and 7th in Philadelphia. The symposium will focus on the drug development process and is designed to connect, educate, and inspire rare disease advocates. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org forward slash RDDS. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Earlier this year, Chiesi Pharmaceutica established Chiesi Global Rare Diseases, a new business unit to advance research and product development for rare and ultra-rare diseases. The unit, headquartered in Boston, has an initial focus on lysosomal storage, hematologic, and ophthalmologic disorders. We spoke to Giacomo Chiesi, head of Chiesi Global Rare Diseases, about the company's approach to building its rare disease pipeline, its experimental therapy for Fabre disease, and how it fits in with the company's broader rare disease strategy. Giacomo, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me, Danny. It's great to be here today. We're going to talk about Chiesi, your experimental enzyme replacement therapy for Fabry disease, and your growing focus on rare diseases. Chiesi is headquartered in Parma, Italy, in the northern part of the country, How's the company coping with COVID-19 pandemic, and, and how disruptive has it been for you? Yeah, you're right. The impact of COVID-19 in Italy has been, has been important, um, but it's been important in a lot of different countries. Uh, luckily, at Chiesi, we always have business continuity plans, so I'm happy to report that there has been no impact on the supply of products uh, whatsoever on any of the Chiesi products. And uh, um, what we've seen is that uh, in some of the countries, we're noticing that physicians are somewhat reluctant to have patients uh, come in, come in the hospital or the centers uh, due to the coronavirus risk. And often, they don't want uh, to go to the patient homes, uh, for example, for a home infusion, as they would expose the patients to the same risk. So we've seen some of that impact on our clinical trials. Um, but, um, you know, fortunately, uh, this impact has been very, very minimal uh, for, for the most part. If for some of the clinical trials we're about to start, uh, um, uh, the impact has been there in that we've uh, essentially decided to delay things by, uh, by a few weeks. Um, luckily, though, uh, Chiesi is obviously very committed to uh, the patients and the employees, and so I'm happy to report that uh, Kiega as a company has decided to donate uh, as much as uh, 3 million euros for the time being for the various emergencies uh, uh, happening in Italy. And um, that's uh, only for Italy for the time being. In 2019, Chiesi created a, a rare disease unit. What was the thinking behind that? Why was the decision made to create this unit? Yeah, so as you probably know, uh, our, our company has historically focused on respiratory and neonatal care and hospital care. 
And with the new business unit, we wanted to have a tailored approach for rare disease and really being patient-centric. Uh, for example, we wanted to emphasize the role of patient advocacy within the organization to make sure that the patient's voice was always heard in our company as we design new clinical trials and when we commercialize new therapies or even when we acquire new products or, or companies. The other advantage of having a dedicated unit is that we now operate with a fully cohesive team that works 100% of the time on rare disease. And we're an ultra-rare disease start. The patients are essentially front and center in the minds of the managers, as opposed to just being one of the many other priorities. You've built a, a set of rare disease products and a pipeline through partnerships. How do you go about thinking of these partnerships? What do you look for in, in the products you license? Yeah, so we look for products that truly make a difference in the patient's life and that fulfill uh, on a medical needs. So we don't look for a me to drug, and we always look for opportunities to really make a difference in the patient's life, uh, really be able to um, improve their quality of life, uh, or even for drugs that uh, come onto the market where there's nothing for the patients and before there's essentially no standard of care. So we always look to make uh, uh, the, the right thing, to do the right thing, to do the, the right thing for the patient and to, to make a difference for them. Well, let's talk about Fabry disease. For listeners not familiar with this condition, what is it? Yeah, so Fabry disease is uh, essentially a monogenic disorder uh, where patients have a defective gene, and therefore they cannot ex express a specific enzyme. Um, so what we're doing with our, uh, with our experimental therapy, uh, we're essentially providing the missing, the missing enzyme to the patient. Uh, over time, what might happen is that the patients will develop renal manifestations of the disease, and therefore, over time, there might be a deterioration of the renal functionality. How does Fabry disease manifest itself and progress? So it's a good question. Um, in, in a lot of cases, Fabry disease manifests itself uh, uh, with uh, angioteratomas, which are essentially uh, spots that you have on, on your skin. Um, in other cases, you might get crystals in, in your eyes. And so those are the more uh, evident manifestations of the disease. Other manifestations of the disease uh, tend to be a bit more difficult to, to detect. And, and again, some of them uh, might essentially boil down to the renal functionality, and you might have to go through pretty detailed medical, um, essentially medical visits uh, to, to understand what's going on with, uh, with your kidneys. And so over time, your, for example, your glomerular filtration rate uh, might go down or might be compromised. And, uh, and these are some of the many manifestations uh, of the disease. Fabry disease is one of the first lysosomal storage disorders for which there was an enzyme replacement therapy. How, how effective are existing enzyme replacement therapies at, at treating the disease and either slowing or halting progression? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, there are some long-term data uh, of, uh, related to the efficacy uh, of, um, of the existing enzyme replacement therapy, but unfortunately, Fabry disease has very few patients and not a whole lot of patients have been on enzyme replacement therapies for a very long time. So it's always a, a good question to ask and a difficult question to, to answer. 
uh, we think that we are uh, enzyme-replacing in therapy. We can truly make a difference for the patient's life. Uh, essentially, if you look at uh, PRX102, which is the code name for the drug that we're working on, uh, we believe that there might be benefits linked to a longer circulatory half-life, meaning that our enzyme might stay in the body for longer than currently approved therapy. And this, uh, this might, and again, I'd like to to underline the conditionality of this. This might translate into advantages for the patient, such as, for example, a less frequent administration uh, regime and then other approved uh, therapies. And then our enzyme is plant-derived, and therefore it has the potential, and again, the potential at this point in time, of reducing immune reaction compared to other commercially available therapies. And we know that many fabric patients on commercially available enzymes uh, suffer from immune reactions, and we believe that there is a, a medical need there. You're hoping to file with the FDA this year for approval to market an enzyme replacement therapy that you license from Protalix. Do you consider this a bio-better? How does it differ from the existing enzyme replacement therapies today? Is it just the way it's manufactured, or are there structural differences? Yeah, so it's a good question, and uh, I guess there's a couple of differences there. So the first difference is that structurally the enzyme is different uh, than the commercially available enzymes, uh, um, in, that, in that it has a comp uh, essentially a component which is structurally different than, than the enzymes. Um, I don't want to get too much into the, into the, details, into the details there. Um, the second difference, though, is the tagulation. So essentially, uh, the enzyme is, is pegulated, so uh, the core of the enzyme um, is, is essentially released uh, at a slower rate than the other enzyme. So these are the two main differences there. Um, the other difference is that, as I was saying before, the enzyme is uh, plant-derived, so it's expressed in uh, or by cells, which are vegetable-derived uh, cells. So these are not animal cells. And so that's a, a different type of technology, a different type of cells, which might, uh, again, provide uh, um, benefits to the patient in the, the way that I described earlier. Is there a, a cost benefit to using that cell technology? Uh, we're not entirely sure because that technology does not belong to Kiegi, as you know. It belongs to our partner company, uh, which is Protalix. And, uh, and essentially, I would leave it at them to answer that question. Well, what do you know about the enzyme replacement therapy to date from the studies that have been done? Uh, we think we have uh, very uh, interesting results from uh, the Phase one 2 study that has been conducted some time ago, as well as uh, some preclinical data that uh, we have uh, been able to obtain from Totalix. And um, essentially, the, the, the results are promising in what I was mentioning uh, earlier on. We believe we have, uh, uh, we might have a longer uh, circulatory half-life, meaning the enzyme might stay in the body for much longer, potentially, you know, several dozens of hours, a lot longer than the current enzyme or the enzyme currently available. Um, and, and again, uh, there might be an opportunity for uh, reduced immune reaction. Um, on, on the patient's uh, versus other commercially available therapies. Uh, these might also have the potential for reduced pre-medications and potentially also uh, reduced uh, infusion length, uh, which, again, will be a good opportunity and advantage for, for the patient. And ultimately, uh, the longer half-life might translate 
into a different regime of administration uh, with a less frequent uh, um, infusion than what happens with the other commercially available lifelines. When do you expect to have phase three results and be in a position to file? And is, is that timing at all affected by the current pandemic? We don't have any evidence that the timing is affected by COVID-19, at least for the time being, um, but we always got to be cautious about it because uh, uh, it's difficult to predict the future. Um, so we believe that the last uh, uh, patient visit will occur in uh, September 2021, if I'm not mistaken. So we'll go from there. And, and how does this product fit in with your broader rare disease strategy? PRX-102 is a very important product for the global rare diseases. Uh, it, it's one of the cornerstone uh, products for our future growth as, as a business unit. It's, however, by no means the only product. Uh, we're also working on another enzyme replacement therapy named Valmanase Alpha for alpha minocidosis, uh, in, in short, alpha-man. Alpha-man is an ultra-rare lysosomal storage disorder. Uh, which uh, affects, uh, to our knowledge, roughly 200 patients globally. Then we have a chelation, a chelation therapy, uh, which is named uh, the Feripron for uh, beta-thalassemia, or iron overload in thalassemia syndromes, I should say. And then we have uh, a small molecule product, uh, idabinone for liver optic uh, neuropathy, and then uh, um, uh, Ex-US, we also have a, a B formulation of cysteamine detartrate for nephropathic cystinosis. So this is uh, the entire suite of products that the Global Rare Disease has at this point in time. You've got three broad buckets, lysosomal storage disorders, retinal diseases, and hematological disorders. Is the idea that you would look to expand new products into those categories, or would you look outside of those areas? So, so, so that's a good question. Uh, we value very much the relationship with, with the patient, the patient's community, uh, the patient advocacy groups, and the medical community. And we believe that uh, good long-term relationships are the recipe for success for society and for us as a company. And what we want to do to have those good relationships is to maintain a very firm commitment to the patients in, in the medical community. And the best way to do that is to keep reinvesting in science, good science, and good R&D. So over time, what we will want to do is maintain the focus on these specific areas and expand and broaden and, in fact, deepen our pipeline by adding new programs in, in these same areas and these same indications. But at the same time, we always want to do the right thing for the patients. And by that, I mean identifying new opportunities for this company to grow and also to bring new therapies uh, to the market for patients that have no other alternatives or that have diseases in which there is a significant amount of medical need. Giacomo Chiesi, Head of Global Rare Diseases for the Chiesi Group. Giacomo, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, Daddy, for having me. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. 
You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.